Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In the mid-19th century, Emily Dickinson is writing prolifically, baking gingerbread and enjoying a passionate, lifelong romantic relationship with another woman, her friend and sister-in-law, Susan. Yes, this is the iconic American poet, popularly thought to be to have been a recluse. The film uh, of part of Emily Dickinson is played by Saturday Night Live alumni Molly Shannon, leads this humorous but bold reappraisal of Dickinson, informed by her private letters. While seeking a publication of her nearly 1,800 poems written during her lifetime, Emily Dickinson finds herself facing a troop of male literary gatekeepers too confused by her genius to take her work seriously. And with that, we're joined today by the director of this incredibly funny, poignant, uh, amazing portrayal of Emily Dickinson. The film is called Wild Nights with Emily, and we're with the writer and director, Madeline Olnick. Madeline, welcome to Film School. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. Well, thank you for being here. This is just a wonderful film. Um, I've watched it a couple of times, and oh wow! Uh, and I was. I hope you got something new out of it every time. I did. I truly <laughs> oh, wow. did. I, I, I mean, some of the the ways in which you approach this material, the ways you approach the the cast of this film, and the tone of it become more and more of a. Of a, of a cinematic delight, if you will, uh, watching it a second time, it really comes alive in, 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 in so many uh, different ways. Uh, tell me a little bit about the material, how you came to this material, and what prompted the, uh, the desire to move forward on a narrative film about this. Um, well, I first came across this story in an article in the New York Times. It was called Beethoven's Hair Tells All. And it was about how advances in science allow us to understand new things about historical figures. And there was a story about Beethoven's hair and testing the the DNA and finding mercury in it, possibly related to treatment for syphilis, which could be related to his deafness. Um, and then there was also another story in it about Emily Dickinson and how spectrographic technologies were being used to look at some erasures in her letters. And um, it talks about how the mistress of Emily Dickinson's brother was probably responsible for these erasures, and she had put together the books of Emily's poems to be published after her death. And Emily was the erasures around this woman, Sue, who Emily was in love with, who married Emily's brother. And I was totally floored by this story. <laughs> Um, and then the New York Times was like, and here's a letter that managed to miss erasure. And then they printed this totally passionate, crazy in love, obviously involved relationship letter between Emily and Sue. And I was like, that escaped erasure? <laughs> um, and I was really, like, I remember reading that letter, and it was almost like that, like, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it um, because I had never heard anything like this about Emily Dickinson. Right. So that was the beginning of it. And it was funny for me because 
because of everything I had heard about Emily Dickinson, I had never been interested in reading her poems because I heard very disturbing stories about her. I mean, she was really almost painted as a mentally ill person, you know, someone who wouldn't leave her room, was scared to face people, wrote almost 2,000 poems but hid them. Like, it was it didn't want to be published. You know, all of those things I heard about her, it was, it was pathological, really. And um, I, in my 20s, I would make this joke that I wanted to be the Emily Dickinson of comedy. The joke being, you know, <laughs> Emily Dickinson is the most unfunny person in the world. Right. Um, so I was really floored by this article. I immediately started reading things and looking, and the letters were the, the, the article profiled the scholar who uh, was what had then co-edited a book called Open Me Carefully, which published all these letters between Emily and Sue. So those letters, and that was 1998. Um, so a lot of this, it's, what's very odd is it is odd to be the first person telling the story on the screen because, honestly, this information has been sitting out for everyone for a long time. Yeah. I can tell you, just to sort of buttress what you're talking about, when I was in college, um, I remember her name would come up in poetry. I took a class on poetry, and the word morose kept coming up in my mind. I mean, it seemed right. like just dire, morose, suicidal. Yeah. Uh, right. yeah, those were the, that was sort of the, 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 the lens through which I was, was introduced to Emily Dickinson. And to see Wild Nights with Emily is to completely recast her uh, as a very serious, dedicated artist who was in love with Susan. And right. and who wasn't a recluse? Who 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 enjoyed being around people? I mean, to the extent that she didn't suffer fools gracefully, but right, <laughs> right. She, I mean, it is it's true. She was socially selective. She wasn't a, re, a recluse. She was socially selective. She saw only the people that she wanted to, and that was very scandalous for the times. I mean, the Dickinson family was the most prominent family in Amherst. And as a, the most prominent family, they, they would constantly get visitors. Um, and Emily would only go downstairs if it was someone she wanted to see. If she didn't want to see them, she, you know, including turning her back on people she knew in her younger years because she was writing. Um, but for a woman at that time to say, my writing is important, um, I need to put time in it. It deserves to have time put into it. Was was entirely scandalous. Um, she refused to go to church. Right. You know, all these things <laughs> added to some of that myth about her being started in her lifetime because her behavior was so unladylike. Yeah. Well, the film itself. Let's talk about the film and your approach to sure. the material because. Uh, it is it is so refreshing to see a film about it because biopics tend to be 
very, uh, you know, serious and, oh, my God, the, everything's treated as, you know, almost like biblical script, you know, in the sense yes. that it's written in stone, I guess, is a better well, is one way to put it. Okay. And with your film, it's, it is, uh, it's playful, it's funny, and, uh, and, again, one of the things that emerges over the course of the film, it sort of incrementally becomes something more poignant and more and more heartbreaking in a sense. And I think a lot of this comes from the performance of Molly Shannon and also Susan Ziegler, who plays Susan in the film. It just their performances are just sort of an island in a, in a in a world where the rest of the film is 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 different. And it's their right. consistency in the film that draws you into it as you move through the film and into towards the the, the ending which is just heartbreaking in so many ways. But I, 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 I digress. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you approach the material and why you decided to take this particular tact in telling the story. Well, uh, here's a few reasons. Um, well, first of all, thank you for those lovely words. I thought about a couple of things. One, what you're talking about, the biblical approach to biopics. One of the things that happens because of those kinds of approaches, especially with literary biopics, is um, we lose, to, to be a writer is to be someone with a vivid imagination who spends a lot of time in the world of language and ideas. And when you see a literary biopic, you sometimes learn more about that writer's life, but you don't experience the thrill of their language, the thrill of their ideas, of their experiences. When you write, you, part of, for a good writer, a good writer has the ability to surprise themselves. Like there are real emotions and things they go through as they're writing on the, putting their writing on the page. Right. Um, And that, writing process is always very tidied up for the screen. Um, But I really wanted people to leave, not just understanding more about Dickinson's daily life, but I wanted them to experience her poems. Um, So I didn't want to use the traditional biopic structure um, because I wanted people to see how the poems came out of her life. I wanted them to step inside some of the poems. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to be able to absorb some of these ideas. Um, and all of those, uh, having all those requirements meant I wasn't going to make a normal, uh, traditional movie. And the other thing, too, I did also try to think about if Emily Dickinson herself made the movie, what kind of movie would she want? Right. Um, I think if Emily Dickinson was alive today, she would be an indie filmmaker rather than a Hollywood filmmaker. I think <laughs> so. you're right. I think you're right about that, yes. Yeah. Well, um, the, the cast. I, it, again, this is uh, it's such a fun film to watch. And and so much of it comes from the performances. There are there are so uh, so many to point out. But we've mentioned Molly Shannon, and, and Susan Ziegler and Amy and Amy Zimitz. Talk about casting this film. Well, um, I always knew I wanted Molly to play Emily Dickinson for all the reasons you're talking about. That 
the, her wonderful performance, the warmth that she has. And also, um, someone once said about Jack Nicholson that he brings the one unactable quality to the screen, intelligence. And Molly brings her original mind. She has a very unique way of looking at the world. And that, I felt like, was unactable. Like, we needed a, a Dickinson who you could believe would invent new forms and be this brilliant thinker, yeah. this one-of-a-kind person, which that is Molly. And Susan, Molly and I both actually went to NYU with Susan, but we neither of us knew Susan there, Susan Ziegler, who plays. <laughs> um, I had started working with her in my plays after graduation, and Susan is in my two other features as well. The chemistry between Molly and Susan was amazing, and you're right in that they're if that's the heartbeat of the film, is that relationship. For I always knew I wanted Amy Simetz to play Mabel Todd. It's funny, now people can see Amy Simetz in Pet Cemetery, but she um, is a very well-known indie filmmaker and actress as well. She works with Steven Soderbergh. On, uh, she directs and writes The Girlfriend Experience, and like she's really, really sharp, very smart, reads a lot. We wanted to make a Mabel who wasn't necessarily like a two-dimensional villain. We understand that the mistress has been had her own creativity severely limited and, and is using Emily Dickinson as her own way to express herself. And she's on the lecture circuit, and that's all true. Emily Dickinson's, uh, the mistress of Austin Dickinson, was actually, had already been on the lecture circuit before she put together those books of Emily. She had lectured, uh, she had a lecture, My Trip to the Orient, because she went to Japan with her husband. She actually gave another lecture about pygmies. Um, so she was, and so people had already, she was a very good presenter. Mm. Um, and when I met with Amy, Amy said, you know, she, she had, was, I think she maybe thought I was meeting with her to ask her about playing Emily Dickinson. This was very, very early in the process. And she said to me, you know, I'm obsessed with Emily Dickinson. And I said, that's great, because so was Mabel Todd. Her character was also obsessed with Emily Dickinson. <laughs> she was. So oh. for her character, that was a very important part of the film. And she's really, you know, uh, uh, one of the leads in the film, because it's why we understand we know what we know about Emily today. Right. Well, and one real quickly, and it's also it can be looked at as in some way a betrayal of Emily Dickinson. But as you, the point you make in in the material I read, she also was fashioning the the perception of Emily in a way that would be acceptable to the times that she was in. So it's not an easy thing to say one way or the other uh, as to how she she was. It's a nuanced approach to uh, right, to, and also. The other thing, too, I mean, just not to, it won't spoil things for your listeners to say that Emily Dickinson has an affair with another woman yeah. in the movie. There are two, there are two uh, romances she has with yeah. women. Um, and when news of that, in, in real life, when new, news of that um, affair came out in 1951, that was the height of the Red Scare. Uh, when this book was written by the scholar, when homosexuality was equated with communism, and Emily Dickinson's books would have been yanked from, uh, her, not her books, her poems would have been yanked from the schools. Yeah. People would have stopped reading her. She would have stopped being published. Right. So the cover job that was then reinstated then, but even stronger, 
that's when all the stories of the master letters, which had never been grouped together as any kind of letters or, you know, this all speculation, who was the man who Emily was in love with? Was it this man, that man, this man? You know, all of that stuff came out in direct reaction to that 1951 book. Yeah. Um, so it definitely would have, you know, the whole her entire legacy would have been destroyed had not the cover story, um, which actually, ironically enough, Mabel's daughter set into play <laughs> yes yes it's it's in there too it's in this well i i i'm afraid we're out of time and i uh okay. this is a remarkable film i had so much fun thank with this thank you so much oh, thank you yeah and, and i just want to say make sure your listeners know that it's a great movie for parents to go to with their uh, teenagers or go with your grandparents it's really it's pg-13 yes. and it's um the poetry's on screen and We've found very old people, even in their 80s and 90s, have really enjoyed the film, and young people, high school kids, have enjoyed it as well. So, it's you're absolutely right. It's funny. It's it's all those things. It's a it's just an enjoyable film. And Molly Shannon and Susan Ziegler are terrific. And Amy Zymetz, who by the Zymetz, way, yeah. yeah, by the way, Sun Don't Shine. She directed that. She's a terrific director. You're absolutely yeah, she's right. She's a great director. She's amazing. Yeah. And the film is opening here in in Irvine at the Edwards uh, West Park Gate. And uh, the film again is Wild Nights with Emily. And we've been talking with the writer director Madeline Olnick. Madeline, thank you so very much for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 